Hi, Shane here. Thanks for stopping by and listening to the podcast today. I recently rewatched a movie that just keeps sucking me in. You ever have that experience? It's called A Knight's Tale, released back in 2001. And uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's an American medieval adventure comedy film. The reason I keep getting sucked into it is because there's this significant spiritual picture that keeps coming through in the film. So I'll give a brief synopsis and then I'll get into what's on my mind and heart for this episode. After his master dies, a 14th century English peasant squire named William Thatcher, fueled by his desire for food and glory, takes his master's place in a jousting tournament, seemingly creating a new identity for himself as a knight, along with a huge loyal following. For those not aware, it's called out early in the movie that only nobility were legally allowed to joust in medieval times. So what William does here is very risky business, which I'll get more into shortly. So after winning several jousting tournaments while posing as a knight, William finds himself in the World Championship Tournament in his hometown of London, his first return to London after many years, where he continues his winning ways and advances to the final for all the marbles. Count Audemars, who is French nobility, William's opponent in the final, and his antagonistic arch-rival, pays spies to follow William around London the evening before the final. They discover William's peasant upbringing when they see him joyously reunite with his father, John Thatcher, in John's humble flat in Cheapside after many years of being separated due to William's life of servitude as a squire. The spies report back to Count Audemars, who has William arrested the next day upon his arrival to the stadium arena in front of all his fans, not to mention the royals and nobility who are also there. William is then taken to the city square and locked up in a pillory where he is jeered, insulted, and otherwise publicly humiliated as people throw rotten vegetables at him with eyes full of judgment. At this point, the match has been declared a forfeit, effectively making Count Audemars the apparent world champion. When it looks as if William's exciting ride has been brought to a dismal end, Edward, the Black Prince of England and heir to the throne, who had a significant but friendly public exchange with William during a joust at a tournament earlier in the season, suddenly emerges from secrecy amidst the jeering crowd, who quickly becomes quiet. He approaches William in the midst of his humiliation, seeing William's friends standing with him for support during his punishment. He bends down toward William and says to him, Your friends love you. If I knew nothing else about you, that would be enough. But you tilt when you should withdraw. And that is nightly too. William looks up and locks eyes with the prince, showing the puzzled expression on his face, as if to say, What do you mean by knightly too? Prince Edward stands erect, orders that William be released from the pillory, and then announces before all those gathered, He may appear to be of humble origins, but my personal historians have discovered that he is descendant from an ancient royal line. Then the Prince of England declares, This is my word, and as such is beyond contestation. And then Edward dubs the young squire, Sir William. And of course, William went on to become the World Jousting Tournament champion. Sir William Thatcher, the son of John Thatcher, not Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein from Gelderland, the false identity William himself had created to get ahead in life. No longer did he have to live under false pretenses. No longer did he have to strive to be something he already was, to do something he had longed all his life to do. He simply needed someone to help him become aware of the truth, someone who knew who he really was, 
someone who saw the fruit of his life, fruit that said, this really is one of noble birth, and even royal blood. William thought that he had changed his stars, but as it turns out, there was one who put the stars in their place, the one, the royal, who was for William from the beginning. When I think of the closing moments in the film, I always feel something well up when I think about Prince Edward's declaration. This is my word, and as such, is beyond contestation. One day I felt this prompt to open up my Bible to the Gospel of John. It opens up with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. All things were made. And without him nothing was made that has been made. As you read John's Gospel, you find that it makes this connection, that the word there in the beginning was Jesus. And in the original Greek language, the Greek word for word is logos, which literally means divine expression. If you're like me and you're into reading the Bible, you probably already knew that. But did you know that logos comes from another Greek word, lego? I know, it sounds like those blocks we played with growing up. So anyway, this word lego literally means laying an argument to rest. It carries the connotation that all other arguments, contentions, debates, disputes, and controversies surrounding a topic are rendered moot and summarily silenced once the one with authority, the person with the final word, has spoken. In the movie, this was Prince Edward. Well, John seems to be telling us here in the Bible that in the universe, in the cosmos, this is Jesus. I believe Jesus was there as God, creating the heavens and the earth in the beginning, and I believe he was doing it right alongside two other people, his Father and also Holy Spirit. And since John's Gospel says that as the living word, he is God, to me, that means we're actually created in Jesus' image. It's like Jesus was the original blueprint for human beings. Hmm, there's something to sit with. Something else here. The Bible also refers to the Word of God, that is, Jesus, as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You can find that in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Well, if he's the King of Kings, then who are the kings? Well, there's another place in the Bible where it says that because of what Jesus has done, we are kings and priests. So I believe it's saying that we are the kings referred to by that phrase, King of Kings. Well, assuming I'm right, that would mean that we, too, are royals. Well, much like William, we don't feel like it a lot of times, and that's usually because of how we tend to view ourselves in light of the circumstances we find ourselves in. But here's something to think about. If you believe, like I do, that Jesus lives in you, this has massive implications, not only for learning who you really are, but for learning how to live because of who you are. Think about it. How does a royal live? Well, in Jesus' kingdom, it's a kind of love where the preeminent ruler looks at his brothers and sisters as friends, and everyone who's on the page with him, or one with him, knows how much he loves them, and they love one another in the same way. It's a kingdom where everyone who is one with him shares an inheritance that never runs out. And if you're concerned about the administration of it all, his response is always, I got you, no worries. And as far as the Father's plans for you, He's prepared to go over things line by line with anyone willing to listen. The bottom line, he values you more than you could ever possibly imagine. As far as he's concerned, you are a royal 
from the moment you were a thought in his mind. And because of him, you have everything you need. And the thing is, it doesn't matter whether you're feeling it or not, because you didn't create you. The word did. And his word, the word of the Prince of Peace, is beyond contestation. Thanks for listening.